Welcome to Chat Your Own with Candy and Noodle, the monthly chat show podcast about all things now, then, and tomorrow. It's a little politics, a little art and science, and a whole lot of feminism. Liberal as fuck. Okay, and welcome back to Chat Your Own. I'm Candy here with Noodle. Hey, it's Noodle. Hey, Noodle, how you doing? I am in the second to last week of my quarter, so I'm pretty sure my head is going to fall right off. That Just sounds off. apropos for the season. Yeah, right? It's, it is spooky around here at the end of Q2. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm losing my mind a little bit. I am not going to lie. That's how I'm Gross. doing. Gross. Um, uh, we are here. Uh, happy almost Halloween. We are recording uh, on the 21st. So, so this is going to go up before Halloween. It is. That's the plan. <laughs> you got 10 days. Stand. Uh, 10 days, 10 days to, to do all the fun stuff. We are uh, here with the ever so lovely Jennifer Lane today for a mini book club. Hi, Jen. Hi. Hi, ladies. Hi. How are you? extraordinarily happy to see your face and same here it's it's too long and i'm glad this is happening so i get to see you yeah a little little extra quality time i feel like you guys both have both uh very calm soothing backgrounds and my Mm -hmm. office which is a disaster area is injecting Mm -hmm. just a little bit of chaos I have a blurred background today because I had a a number of very important phone calls and I thought maybe don't show your couch that is piled with crap. (laughs) So I blurred out my background and I think it makes me look very professional. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. And I just happened to paint my office very dark, a nice soothing navy blue and haven't put anything up on the walls yet. So it gives the illusion of a blurred background. And it also makes your eyes pop. It does. Thank you. I'll take it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's very, it's well framing. Not that anybody will see it. (laughs) Hey, I could be taking pictures. I'm not. You would hear me clicking it and be like, click, 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 click. We are going to (laughs) talk about spooky stories, what we like about them, the kinds that we like. And we have read uh, Monster She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction uh, as a way to expand our knowledge of female authors in this genre. How'd you guys, we're not going to get into it yet. We've got some other stuff, but uh, just one quick, one word. How'd you like the book? I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, Some stuff I knew sort of just from, you know, having grown up around a lot of horror. Um, So it was nice to see, you know, what the influences, who the influences were, what their lives were like and so forth. Um, it reads a little bit like a, an elaborate bibliography. So it's like, as far as like, a, like a, you know, sit down with a cozy book, mm-hmm. I would like that. But I really, I loved learning more about a subject, a genre and, um, you know, brave new women <laughs> venturing out into a field that was, you know, predominantly male. Um, so that aspect I really, really liked. 
Nice. I feel like this is like book Yelp noodle. <laughs> I had never heard the phrase speculative fiction before. Hmm. I'm just going to say that out loud. I was thinking to myself, that feels like a gap noodle in your extensive reading just the phrase speculative mm-hmm. fiction um i found the first half of like classic and gothic to be not my jam and then at mm-hmm. about the halfway point i started being like oh i've read that oh i know about that and it really like i have no deep history but the more recent stuff i was like yes i understand this I recognize mm, these yes. references. I'm, I was definitely Steve Rogering of, I get that reference. A hundred percent. Cause you know that my, my horror pool is quite shallow. Well, your all horror pool is quite deep. So I am thrilled <laughs> that you guys are going to talk about horror and I'm going to ask questions. Uh, good. You've probably read more than I have of these authors. So we will figure that out. Yeah. We'll yeah. yeah. As it, That'll as it be shakes out. That'll be fun to see. Should we keep tally? No, I don't want to count stuff. Um, before uh, before we get deeper into the book, I do have a reading related secret question for everybody. Are you ready? Yes. Thank you. What is your perfect reading space slash time or describe your dream book date? Ooh. Just oh you my. a book. So I had a book date recently, just me and a book. Um, I was like, maybe like two, three months ago, I was like, hey, I have been inside the house for a very long time and I haven't read a book in a very long time. I need to go outside away from everybody else and read a book by myself outside for a little bit. And uh, Mike was very supportive. So when I was reading Obama's book, I took a blanket to what awkwardly ended up being a dog park um, and lay down on a blanket with the book in the sunshine, just like on my belly, red, red, red. There was a Cocker Spaniel who was not pleased about my presence. And he uh, put his whole face through the fence and barked at me for the entire (laughs) time I was there. So that was less ideal, but like the rest of the experience was glorious. I also had snacks. You said snacks. I did. Okay. Yeah. Snacks. Food. Do you think she put said- in in it my mouth? Like sex. I did oh, not. In no. your mouth. Well, that's good. Uh, no. It. Um, Obama was not actually there. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe maybe become, like just a um, little fantasy. And and I think <laughs> that dog wanted something else from me entirely. So uh, if I could have removed the dog aspect, it would have been better. But the outside with the book on a blanket in the nice, like warm sunshine with snacks. Thumbs up. Excellent. Jen. Well, um, for me, some of my best reading, I guess, dates, you called it, would be um, times that have gone away and I've been in a cabin or like a, like a ski, ski house. And everybody else is gone. Usually find myself a little nook. A lot of the places we've stayed have had, you know, like a little bay window where you you can like prop the pillows up and you've got the snow falling on one side and just the book. And I will lose hours. I mean, it could be an hour or five hours and 
I wouldn't have known how long, how much time had passed. So definitely out of my house, away from any distractions or chores and people. So elsewhere, but no dog. Similar to noodles. That sounds like a much better experience. <laughs> I mean, those are both nice. It's a nice like yeah. spectrum of things. Yeah. Like a cozy, distraction-free little bubble. That's that's my that's my jam. Yeah. Uh, no one has said bath, which I think is mm. I do like bath. I do like bath. That was originally originally where mm-hmm. I was. The only problem is if you're in the bath for more than 30 minutes, the water gets a little chillier. It and becomes water and then you right. get dry hands and yeah. you get wet edges. You need an extra towel. Wet, it's wet okay. edges. Yeah. Wet edges. Kind yeah. of breaks the breaks the mood a little bit. But no, bath, bath is a at home, the bath is a very close second. If I have to stay in this freaking house, <laughs> yes, I choose the bath. people one more day. <laughs> Get me out uh, of here, please. <gasps> Andy, well, what is yours? Oh, mine is not real life. Mine is, uh, I think I have, it's a Pinterest board that's something like, or I used to have one that was like happy sigh or something. And a lot of that was pictures of books, like on a giant bed over, you know, with a window in front of you, that's huge. And it's snowy pine trees outside. Now that sounds like a good time. I haven't done that. Yeah. Uh, but I would like to, so I guess dream book date is that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I would go to, you know, I'm not a skier, right? I'm not doing that, but <laughs> I will go that. with you. I will go and I will sit in a cabin and read a book and drink all of the hot beverages and get a snowsuit and play in the snow. There, it's so going to have to have three separate nooks because yeah. the key is the no people. So we can go together, but like, right. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of room. Exactly. A lot, lot of private corners. And Candy, the best part of this whole thing is most people who operate ski barely ski. So, oh, okay. you know, you, you don't need one to do the other. Excellent. Excellent. Because like, I want to buy the fun outfits. Mm. Absolutely. I will Absolutely. hurt myself. I will. I will definitely hurt myself. <sighs> um, and speaking of reading, what you read, Noodle? two Ooh. books and this time and I feel like every time I say this I'm like this is so out of character but maybe it's not out of character anymore maybe this is who I am now That's I'm reading thing. I'm reading nonfiction still I'm like committed to nonfiction. it's weird it's it's very this is why I'm reading less I think this year because it's a lot of nonfiction, and so it doesn't really like hook me so um I finished reading Our Revolution by Bernie um and I know I talked about it in the last one but it really has taken me this long to finish it and I had, I think, only just started it last month when mm-hmm. we talked about it. So I finished it. Um, and it, the, the tone continues to be wrong. He continues to be really smug and he continues to be, like, very, like, self-satisfied. But, I mean, he is deeply not wrong. And this country is depressing and fucked up. And then we got to the, like, finance section of the book and I basically just wanted to like lay down and die um you know the the CEO to worker discrepancy of pay the lack of paid leave the just uh the tax situation or lack thereof um 
the numbers are really, really staggering. And so ultimately, like, he's not wrong. He's not wrong over and over again. He's not wrong. The book is tone deaf, but the information is really critical and it is upsetting all over again. So that's my fun part. Um, But I finished it and I feel like good about having read it because I committed to reading it and I did. It, I mean, the, the thing that is missing from this book is like the Trump impact because he wrote it in 2016, 2017, whatever, whatever year it is. So to like see it outside of the lens of like what has happened since is, is interesting. Like his determination of we can do X, Y, and Z. And then it turned out like, not only did we not do X, Y, and Z, it's gotten worse. Um, is It was pretty staggering to watch in real time. So uh, worth reading if you want to feel sad about America. (laughs) Uh, If you want to laugh uproariously, I read Bring Your Baggage and Don't Pack Light by Helen Ellis, who also wrote Southern Lady Code. Um, This was a gift for my birthday from Elaine, who is definitely listening. What's up, Elaine? Um... It's so fucking funny. I howled out loud laughing, like howled in my room by myself. Just like I didn't snort. I didn't guffaw. I straight up howled laughing. It's a series of essays um, on she is 48. And so it is about being in her late 40s and like her interaction with herself in her late 40s and her interactions with her friends in her late 40s and how um, her relationships are different with her friends and how her like absolute lack of interest in anybody else's social norms at the age of 48 is and it's just it's so glorious and the line that like just made me set me off and then it like put me in a good position for the whole rest of the book which I read in like two days because it was really fun um there's this line where she's describing her friends and she gets to one of her friends and she goes, she's a feminist. She is such a feminist that she married somebody with the exact same last name and insisted that they hyphenate. And I just, I was like, you know what? That seems right. That seems right. Absolutely. And it just, it, it was great. And I really enjoyed it. And I will read other books by her. Um, her sense of self really just comes through beautifully. And she's, she's very confident about it. It feels like, a very modern day Nora Ephron. And she actually references some of Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron has this, uh, has a book called I Feel Bad About My Neck. And uh, she has an essay titled I Feel Better About My Neck um, about having like neck work done. Cause that's a thing. Um, she said, looking at her own neck in the Zoom. She said doing this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> everybody, everybody packs your chin. Um, so it's great. And I really enjoyed it. So that was like a nice, bright spot. Excellent. Yeah, because you've had a few um, stinkers lately, I feel like. Stinkers are depressing. Like, I have just been reading sluggish books. Like, good for me, but not fun. Hmm. I was going to say stuff about books, but I haven't read enough books this year to really weigh in on the Uh, Dude, I am. I am shorting. I am shorting my my records and my standards and my tracking by half. I'm getting there. I finished some books this year. I finished some books, but this is one of the reasons why I wanted to read this book for book club, because, um, I didn't have enough 
lady horror authors. Like I couldn't think of enough people like right off the top of my head. Um, and it bummed me out. And this book seemed like the way to go. It is, I think my favorite thing about the book, which I didn't say earlier was that is the way it's broken up at least up until the end, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I really do like the way it's, um, kind of broken. It's broken by both, uh, sub genre. Um, and then it also moves forward in time, which I really, really, really liked. Um, so let's do it. Let's talk about this, uh, monster. She wrote the women who pioneered horror and speculative fiction by, I'm not going to say that accent, right? Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson. Yeah. Probably how you pronounce Kroger. Right? It's probably just Kroger. It's yeah. got the thing. I think it's because, because it's very gothic. Very gothic. Wait, I heard the very gothic. What'd you say, Jen? And the two dots, the umlauts. The umlaut? Yeah, I think that's what that is. Is that what they are? Is it? Is it some well, apologies if that's not how it's said. I'll I look it up like, Yeah, you go. can cut that out. <laughs> we can just, we can snip this right out of the center. We don't edit. I'm not going <laughs> to. You say I'm it. We're pretty bad. good. We're pretty good. I think we've yeah. edited very little out over the last so many years. This is just lucky, <laughs> which is just <laughs> lucky. Anywho, let's talk about this book. Um, so uh, what, who, I guess the first question is you love, you love that it was grouped by author in by time, by genre of the genres that the book talks about, because it covers like very Gothic to very brutal. Um, what did you find to be your favorite category of horror within this? This, your favorite description of horror. Hmm. Hold on, did I show you all of my post-its? Nice. None of them yeah, are in I'm those cold. places. I've Mine got, are very foldy. Cute. I've yeah. got yeah, I've got folds too, and none of them are anywhere near. Like, where's the main? Where's the? I can't remember. Yes. The actual, there they are. There they are. Yeah. Um, I actually liked Cult of the Occult the most, and uh, the women who wrote the Pulps. Mm. And one of the things I liked, I think it's the pulps one. Um, and you know, I, I think my favorite parts of the books might've been the little blurbs at the beginning of each section about that section. Um, and I like, I think it's the pulps that talks about the cover artists, the two mm. cover artists yes. that are like a huge deal from those. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a good ad. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I mean, there, this is this is tough because there are elements of all that I really, really love. But I would say the haunting tales is kind of like my, you know, like yeah, gothic. But I'm I love a good ghost story, and I like that, you know, they don't have to be good or bad; they can just be ghosts. Um, but then, similarly to the pulp, I was more of a paperback. So like the fact that they separated the two the pulp versus the paperback. I was more of like the seventies, eighties paperback kid, I guess. Those are the ones that really caught my attention. And, and I forget which author it was, but she's, she's one of the, the Gothic or the, um, the Victorian. And she said that she got into it. She started writing because she was afraid of everything. So she started writing yeah. it, embrace it. And I was identify with that person. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I have a brother who's three years older and, you know, he grew up, you know, like he had all of the, like he had models of like the universal classics 
you know, monsters. And I was fascinated, but terrified by them and all the ghost stories. So he also took advantage, you know, like he, he took every opportunity to scare the crap out of me. So when I started to get like into my, you know, teens and tweens age, I guess, is when I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I can handle it. And that's so when I embraced it. So, um, so the, the ghost stories and also the, uh, I would say the, when it gets into the paperback section. Noodle. Uh, I like much more of the psychological. So the much more modern stuff, the like, um, from kind of, uh, Jillian Flynn on is mm-hmm. really kind of where my sweet spot is because the like, I just can't read a lot of the monster stuff. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, I, it just like, it bothers my brain too much. And so I do not read monster horror with the exception of like Stephen King because mm-hmm. for, for other reasons, but like straight monster horror and like slasher horror, I just, I can't, I can't get into it. Um, so the, the, the more of the like psychological horror stuff, um, I identified more strongly with and like discovered, oh, I've read that, I've read that, I've read that. And there was a couple in there that I thought were really interesting that they identified in the book that I did not consider horror. And then looking back at it and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's upsetting. The um, the face on the milk carton and whatever happened to baby Janie. I remember reading that when I was like 10, yeah. maybe a little bit older, but like not that much older and just thinking, Oh, this is a story and now I look oh. at it and I'm like this is a horror story about a kidnapping that was hidden from everybody like hey who was paying attention to what I was reading uh, yeah. nobody nobody no. yeah. mom me too um, it's okay but yeah so I you know I'm, I'm much more in the like modern day psychological mm-hmm. can I ask a question um I get why not the the other like the gory side of the like slasher side and that stuff, but monsters. What is it about monsters? Is it the the extreme awkward like human element of the horrible things that we do and they do that makes you uneasy, or is it that it ends up being just too weird and like science gross? Yeah. <laughs> Usually, it's the too weird science gross. Got it. Like the gore, mm-hmm. and also like. I don't want to have to think about that when I'm in my house mm-hmm. and it's dark. I can lock my door and think, well, people aren't going to get in. But like, I don't, I am not prepared for the gymnastics that have here. to come around, like <laughs> right. keeping monsters out of my house. So I'm, no. I'm good. That makes good. sense. You Thank know, you. I, uh, I have my own monster spray and <laughs> feel fine about that. So yeah, I just, I just don't have the stomach for it. Yeah. Yeah. The constitution. I always thought it was funny, not funny, but the, um, to me, the interesting thing about the universal monsters, like the original, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and so forth, it was, they were scary because they looked different mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And as I got older and I watched the movies and read some of the stories, they were really scary because they were just manifestations of humans like they were the worst qualities of a human manifesting itself in this otherworldly creature and I thought to me that was the most terrifying part it's like you know with the shining you know I I saw the movie for the book and I was like 
it was more terrifying than any boogeyman because the boogeyman I can write off in my head as being, you know, a man. Nonsense. But a person who just kind of loses it and then comes after you, that was more terrifying. Like the monster was in your house all along. Well, that's why Halloween that is scary, scary, right? That's that kind. That's why Halloween is scary. That's that vibe that he's mm-hmm. he someone determined to get you. Yeah, a human determined to get you is pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, fast, yeah. Everyone, it, it's interesting the the differences, the things that that scare us, good way or bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, how everyone's got their their vibe. Um, I think it's funny. I don't think any of us answered which sections were our favorites in a surprising way at all. No. <laughs> that was pretty we on who he is. Uh-huh. On brand. Uh-huh. <laughs> um reading through it, it was all very fact-based, right? There's a lot of like deep detail on people, you mm-hmm. know, their their personal lives, their family lives, the reasons they were writing. I mean, there was tons of people out there that were like, well, my husband was a drunk, so I had to write to like support our family, but also had to do everything else. Like these poor women. What random factoid jumped out at you? And I'm going to do mine first because I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a one sentence kind of throwaway that was like Anne Rice, who was named after her father, Howard. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, which part of her was named Howard? Like, is I'm Howard so confused? Is Howard her actual name? Like, I or or maybe yeah, her, I guess was Howard it Howard was, Rice. Howard's her name. Is it Howard Rice? And so they named her Rice. But like, aren't we all named after our father? That was like very strange Howard. verbiage, and that has it's really stuck with me. And I'm I'm curious, not mm-hmm. so curious that I like looked it up on the internet to be like, what's Anne Rice's real name? I just assume it's Howard. Um, <laughs> it is. It, it is, is because I looked it up. Well, I looked it up for a different reason because I have an Anne Rice um, thing for later. But uh, yeah, Howard Allen Francis O'Brien was born October 4th, 1941. That's her whole name. That's her whole name. Her mother <laughs> looked at that baby and was like, sure, name it Howard. And I believe from what I'm understanding, her Howard Allen, the Allen portion looks like her mother's maiden name. She got Howard got Allen. Boy and I guess, I guess somebody be named Francis in there somewhere. Yeah. I, I will give you Francis. But like, wow. what? Oh, Brian. Yep. Just weird. That's a weird name yeah. to give to a little baby girl. I'm well, sorry. I know this is very gender specific, but Howard is a, is, is yeah. a very gender specific name. Mm-hmm. Howard is, is a very gender yeah. specific name. Well, especially when it's the father's name and he insists that he looks at his little baby girl. She must be right. after me. Yeah, no, she looks like a Howard. She looks like a Howard to me. I just can't. Yeah. I just can't. I can't think see it. I find I find the extreme naming after just so incredibly creepy to begin with. You know, when I see someone who's like whatever, 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 the fifth, like, give me a goddamn break. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The, uh, the, the needing to see yourself, it's just too much for me. That's when I check out psychologically on humans. I'm like, Oh, oh, I go, I can't, I can't even send you mail. I can't deal with this. You were the murderer in the story. Um, I think I have an answer to your question. My random factoid. Um, this is not a factoid, but it is a one liner that stuck out. So I'm kind of fake answering this question. 
Um, cause this is actually a line from one of the stories. They do little quotes at the end where they sprinkle quotes from some of the stories throughout the book. And one of them, uh, really stuck out to me. Are we ready? Uh, she shrieked at seeing the dismembered arm and with a dreadful groan fell senseless on the earth. And I just think that's the best, like faint I've ever read. And I feel like that's how I would faint. <laughs> I've never fainted, but I read it and I felt it in my body. Like, oh, yeah. right. The word senseless used there in that particular context. Yeah. It never like it, it, it's it's so logical, but it just I've never heard it used like that. Yeah. Senseless on I can't even senseless senseless on the earth. Yeah. I like that. I've been thinking about that for a couple of days. Which story was that from? That was from, hold on, let me go back to my post-it. Give me a second. Uh, Give me a second. Uh, well, this is on page 43, and this is from The One-Handed Monk by uh, Marianne who, Radcliffe. Whose yes. arm she clearly discovered. Yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. What's-Her-Face. In Jurassic Park, she saw that dismembered arm and she oh, did not hit the ground. Dr. Ellie. I mean, she screamed, sure, because it oh, was yeah. a surprise. But you know surprise. what? Dr. Ellie had a lot yeah. to take care of. She didn't have time for that. What a day, my she, God. She just. The second they stepped off the helicopter. She took care of business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which also, I mean, do we think about that as horror? Because I feel like that's probably horror. I mean, it's boy horror. <laughs> it's, it's male author horror. So. We'll put mm-hmm. that aside afterwards, well, but that, like, no. but um, Jurassic Park, horror. It for depends sure. on the audience, definitely, it, and it could be considered speculative. science fiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely science fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm. A dino DNA. <laughs> and do you have a factoid? Yeah, because I didn't. So, I mean, um, that, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that counted. Thank you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, all, both of those kind. Um, I think. For me, um, when they were talking about uh, sometime in the 1700s, and they were, there were these two sisters, the Fox sisters, who um, figured out a way or said they figured out a way to communicate with um, spirits, people who have passed, and they basically created spiritualism, spiritualism and that became a religion of sorts and how you know, they would, people would come to them because they wanted to commune with the dead. And, you know, as with many of the, you know, most of the, the female authors in the, the, the book, they were women who were in situations that weren't ideal or weren't what they wanted for their lives. So they used literature as a way to create or, or, or vocalize or visualize a, a world in which, you know, they could be them, tr- their true selves. And I loved the quote, and, and it's not a quote, I'm going to paraphrase this, but they were talking about how the sisters would, um, for the first time, women, they were women speaking to the public, where it was always a man's role. They were speaking in public places and uh, telling everybody, men and women, what the voices from beyond the voices, you know, of people who have passed, what they're saying, what they're telling them. These women were also abolition feminists and abolitionists. And so they were 
voicing their own opinions, but saying it was ghosts. And I just love that. I love how absolutely, you know, subversive it was and how they were just, you know, they believe we talk to ghosts. We're going to tell them how we feel. We think that, you know, everybody's equal. We think women are equal. We think people of color are equal. And, well, don't get mad at us because the ghost told us that that's the actual truth. So spiritualism, the Fox sisters, I loved that factoid. That's a great one. Um, I love the word that you just used, uh, subversive. Uh, And how, how there's, they really created a genre that empowered women so completely. Um, I love that. I love that, that section of the book, how, how it talked about that idea of like, this is the only way we're able to address any of these. Yeah. Um, I think that that, that theme comes through in a couple of different places. Yeah. I mean, is like from the very beginning, you know, as you hear the, the histories of the, the, these women, you know, in the 1700s, it's like, you know, they're, they're not supposed to, they're supposed to read poetry, but they're not supposed to think or write. They're supposed to, you know, play music, knit, get married. That's it. Like they, they don't have, they're not supposed to think or create or, you know, shape the world. That's, that's the man's job. So uh, the fact that in the 1700s, you know, or actually I have it written down 18, 1848, these two sisters found a way to, to have a voice. And I just, I thought that was great. Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's a, that's a great part to call out. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the idea of in a couple of places, they really, they took the idea of women as only allowed to be victims and really as horror evolved, like women became in places, the villain. And that was empowering and, and freeing that, that it could be a woman who was stalking you and slashing you up into little tiny pieces and feeding you to her dog. Like, why the hell not? Well, that makes the most um, sense. Well, sure. <laughs> but I like how a lot of that would have, like that modern day idea of women as beyond just the, just the final girl yeah. um, really would have come from this moment of these two sisters being empowered and like creating space for it. Um, was anyone missing from the book that you thought, oh, I can't believe they left out? Well, this was why I looked up Anne Rice. So this actually totally goes with this question. So I was bummed out that they did not uh, bring up her pseudonym and the, the Sleeping Beauty trilogy. Mm. And I was surprised by that because they actually make the point of, you know, I, I, I will say I, these are great tiny readable biographies. Like each one of these gives you a a really good, like absorbable amount of information about somebody. And I just thought the structure of everything was really uh, easy to follow and just well laid out and it made it move really well. Um, But they, they made a point of kind of mentioning her Christian upbringing and her, you know, leaving the church and coming back to the church and the books that she wrote, um, very much attached to that. And I was just surprised that they didn't then bring up these books that I would definitely call weird <laughs> for sure. Um, they are almost pornographic, but they're weird. I shouldn't say almost pornographic. I think they're, like they are, they're, they're, they're pretty much pornographic. They are, por- what is it, um, the Anne Ramplings? Is that, uh, no, is that that's, a, no. Her, a different pseudonym. 
A this one is Anne Roquelaire. It feels like it's got a French undertone and I'm not saying it right, but she only wrote the Sleeping Beauty trilogy under this name. Mm-hmm. That was it. So I was just kind of bummed out and surprised that that, that wasn't mentioned, especially since it, they really do um, talk about sexuality in the writing. Um, so I was just kind of surprised that that was left out. And it, it almost... it as an Anne Rice reader, and especially since she is one of the more modern authors, it was almost glaring to me, actually. Glaring omission. No, I mean, I don't care that much, but I I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, Jen, who did you think was missing? Um, you know, as, as we were, as they were going through, the interesting thing is they, there are a lot of names in this book. And so there, there was a name that I thought of, but eventually when they got to, you know, I forget whose, whose category it was, they're like, oh, other, um, what is it? They had, uh, you know, what you must read from this author and, you know, other references or, or, or similar. Related work. Yeah. Related works. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and it was, it was Lois Duncan. And only because when I was a kid and, you know, I, I won't check my head, but when I was a kid, there was this book called Summer of Fear and it, my brother had it, the cover scared the crap out of me and I eventually read it and, and just put it aside and it, it freaked me out and it's creepy and I didn't think much of it, but they do talk about her in this book under somebody else's, you know, related material and everything else that she wrote. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. So, so uh, we have other talk, other questions that we'll, I'll have an opportunity to talk about her again, but Lois Duncan. She is also an answer to some of my other questions as well. So there you nice. go. And I bet we talked nice. about the same book. Oh, good. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, the person that I thought was missing, I realize now looking at it, it's because the book wasn't written yet so it wasn't so much missing as it hadn't happened yet because I was thinking Mexican gothic I can't believe they've left out Sylvia Moreno Garcia which came out in 2020 as opposed to 2019 when this book was written so uh, Mm -hmm. that makes sense the thing that jumped out at me was the fact that a lot of this this felt like a very white compilation um, Octavia Butler and Toni Morrison both called out in here who I don't think of as horror writers. They just happen to occasionally write horror. Um, this, so I felt like there wasn't a ton of diverse writing. I, it felt very, very white to me in its version. However, what I think is interesting is the, um, the drawings in the book are not all stereotypical white characters that are being represented. So the imagery is much more diverse, but I think that a lot of the, like the authors themselves felt, felt pretty, pretty white to me. But I also like don't have a broad view of, of horror kind of holistically. So I don't, I don't know what's missing. I think it's, I, I think it's because I have a similar comment on the book that kind of <clears throat> falls into the same category. Um, I, I think it's a matter of they're only speaking about 
published authors that you can reference and find. Mm. And when you go back, you know, a lot of this, it's important to note for the audience that this book, a lot of this book takes place, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, so it, at that point, I don't know how much of a, I don't want to say that. I mean, yes, there were obviously writers of color, um, but mm-hmm. in American and British writing, publishable, mm-hmm. spoken about, you know, mentioned in other people's articles, worked with other, you know, paid. I don't know that there's that much and the, you know, that big of a pool to choose from. And in, I had noticed something that I found like kind of annoying was, you know, for the first so many pages of the book, I do feel like, you know, I read Charles Dickens's name like a million times Mm -hmm. and, and I was annoyed by it. And then I had to stop and think, you know, but they're making literary references and other writers of the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, those are all going to be white dudes. And it's going to annoy me because I've heard enough about white dudes, but like that's just (laughs) the reality of, of the time. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I had a similar observation. I was talking to Josh about it and I was like, okay, I get it. Like the Gothic novel, like, yeah, that's traditionally, you know, British and white and, you know, was frustrating that anytime they had a character and maybe this was like more in the Victorian, but like a character who was bad or a character who was romantic or, or not of the, you know, cultural traditional norms they were italian or they were of dark skin and it's like oh oh you're saying that oh right yeah yeah oh. and it's like oh when you know there's temptation and all this stuff and so there was a little hard but it's like yeah you're right candy this is you know this we're, we're talking about the the published authors that created these genres and you know there is one that they talked about and I wrote it down Pauline Hopkins you know, she was born in the late 1800s um in Portland Maine of all places then you know basically her adult life was in Boston she worked at MIT I love it's crazy it's like they talk about like oh yeah you know she was a writer but you know she was also you know she her day job was a stenographer her day job was this yeah like you know, because women weren't, you know, given the opportunity or expected to be able to be a full-time writer. Well, and she should be lucky that she had a job at all. Oh yeah. Right. Mm. right. That too. I I think about these women who have their job and you know, they've got five kids because you have five kids, you deal with your kids and then you write at night. When did these poor women ever sleep? I, you know, like I am exhausted with the one, the idea of them, like, sitting down and doing yeah, something but creative I'm like mm. let's remember I'm not saying it wasn't hard to be a person at this time but like kids went to bed when the sun went down <laughs> you weren't up but, until 11 30 because your kid went down at nine I feel like from what I've heard read uh <laughs> depicted of the time in books uh you know what do you, you light a candle you do you write something down what else are you gonna do <laughs> so I, time I, with your own goddamn thoughts everyone's asleep and also they didn't have Facebook or next door to vent their, their problems. So they turned it into like these amazing works of fiction. You couldn't doom scroll. You had to do something yeah, else for the go. two hours. Your brain would shut the hell up. There weren't any other books to be reading. You had to write your own. You had to write your own damn books. Funny. I love it. Women are very industrious that way. They are. They are. Aww. 
were you inspired to read anybody in the future that you thought, man, I am missing this book and I really should have picked this up at some point? Yes. Yes. But in an unsurprising turn, they're mostly short stories. Um, I have a couple of tabs. One is uh, The Haunted Saucepan by uh, Marjorie <laughs> yes! Lawrence. I was real stoked about that. Sounds really good. It's on their um, not to be missed reading list for Marjorie Lawrence. Um, also, oh my God. Uh, uh, Moon Magic and the Sea Priestess by uh, Dion Ford, which uh, are described as. Both are literary tornadoes of feminism, paganism, natural magic, and sex with Atlantis thrown in for good measure. So I'm in. So I made a post-it for that. I'm not surprised with Atlantis thrown in for good measure. Uh Oh, it's just those two. I I have other bookmarks, but those were the ones that seemed like the most important to mention. I love it. Oh my goodness. Jen. Well, um, yeah. Pretty much everybody, and I had to stop writing them down because I'm like, I'm basically just copying the book at this point. <laughs> but because of the, you know, the foundation of the genres, I did um, Radcliffe's Mystery of the Adolfo really sounded amazing to me because that was a little bit of everything. It was the, you know, the, oh, you know, the, 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 the men trying to gaslight women and, 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 win their fortunes and I don't know it was just it, it, it sounded like a wonderful intriguing story and then um a couple from Shelley because I do like Shelley um Matilda and the last man so I uh, those are the ones that I that I noted that I was like okay these are really good and I know there's a short story I know there's a collection of short stories and I totally forget which one but you might have mentioned it Candy one of the sexy magic ones mm-hmm. just now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll just call it that. Agree. Ah, I love it. I love it. Um, so of course mine were of the more moderns. Um, I do want to read the fledgling by, by Octavia Butler. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've really only read the. Sower trilogies. Um, so I, and while I enjoyed that, it, it, I said, okay, like, let's see what else. Um, and a book that Kira, if you're listening, you're going to be like, I fucking told you this over and over again. Uh, the Anita Blake books. I should finally just Dude, like, get myself together. And get it. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. Together. Yep. Yep. Get it um, together. Yep. That's, that's fine. Uh, I should really just do that. And the other one was because like, I, th- I feel like she always gets the damn shaft. She gets like one sentence references in connection to other things tabitha king like yeah i've never read anything anything i have i have read things by obviously himself but like also joe i've read joe hill i should Mm -hmm. read tabitha so she's always referenced as the author tabitha king and even in this book she's referenced in relation to her husband and i'm like i'm gonna read her book is she's referenced twice or three times. Yes. Yes. She, I I'm think like, she's in the. Yeah, it, yeah. She's touted as like, there's like a call out to her because her name is famous, but like no real. Right. Anything said about her work. So I'm going to read a tab of the King book. Yes. And, you know, the legend goes that Stephen King wrote the first draft of Carrie, hated it, threw it in the bin, and she pulled it out and she said, no, there's right. 
here, finish it. Yeah. So there you go. You know, we really agree. She's really, she's a hero. And I feel like she always gets the shaft. And she put up with him. <laughs> she put, and yeah, frankly, she, put up she with like a lot. In all of his she, maniacal decades. His shit. Right. She stopped. Basically, she told him like she he needs to get sober or get the fuck out. Yeah. And she ain't wrong. So uh yeah, those are the ones that I'm gonna like good call invest in. Yeah. Um I have a mention. I have two other book mentions. Um, we were talking about the occult section and, and the, the spirit spiritualists and whatnot. And a lot of that I did know. And one of the reasons I knew a lot of it was because I read this book spook by Mary Roach, which is fantastic. And if you're into this kind of stuff and the history of things and like how and why they are the way they are, this book is all about her science tackles the afterlife. So she kind of looks into these orders and, and seances and the technology and the social reasons behind them and how they became a thing and they exploded and they went away. And it's all about uh, investigating connections to the afterlife. And even is there an afterlife? So there's a ton of really good information in there. Um, and actually, yeah, no, that's the only one. This is one. And I know she has many other books that I've heard wonderful things about. They're all, yeah. they're all like the, all the titles are one word. Mm-hmm. and um like stiff and, yeah I you know, really like, want to read stiff yes yeah yes. um that's how I knew who she was because I think Jess read stiff which is all about yeah. the life of the like forensic cadaver right and it's yeah. and it's funny and it's I haven't read it but it hurt mm-hmm. um and that's what turned me into this book and I highly recommend it if you're I love it interested in that. that's it oh and actually I have a Kira shout out too um unsurprisingly in even in the older chapters I did I recognized a lot of the um the names and some of the short stories especially when they came to vampires um and there is a mention of uh Hotel Transylvania or something close to that which is it's got this very specific famous vampire in there but I think I lent that to Kira because I was looking for it on my bookshelf to show you guys it has this fantastic cover art it's super like 70s it's got this like dark shadows vibe and it's purple mm-hmm. but I think Kira has it so I'm gonna want that back I think I lent it to her and she was like this is stupid <laughs> Ship it. that's a fun shout out <laughs> yeah. those are all my post-its those are good post-its Thank you. I feel like I dog-eared things but refused to write in the book. So there's just like a folded page that who knows what it was in reference to. Very productive. That's what I was looking through yeah. in the book, like trying to yeah. the things no, that I didn't double note. I should put in the post-its because I'm just like, what was it on this page? And then I have to reread it because obviously I folded like 87 pages. Um, yeah. Yeah. My book helpful. is poofy. Yeah. The poofy book. Um, and I, I one more shout out. I love the amount of women who just straight up supported their families with with writing mm-hmm. just this Incredible. is how it has to be done yeah and it's yeah. always my husband drunk our fortune away and this is what we're gonna do instead or, me, or my mother right or yeah. my mother yeah the mothers yeah. i mean goodness yeah. well and the fact that they were getting a fraction of what you know their male counterparts were getting or even their husbands were getting always the woman the i think she was one of the gothic or um Victorian writers who was making so much money. Her husband didn't even know it. She bought a second house. And the only reason he found out she had a second house yeah. was because she died in that second house. <laughs> Brilliant. What That's a wonderful final. Good on you. Yeah. Yes. Extremely <laughs> gothic. But this time the woman's doing it for herself. 
It's amazing. I like it. That's excellent. I like it. Um, I just want to note, and I feel like we've touched on it a couple of times, but like, I just want to say it out loud that I really think the illustrations in this book leveled it up. Mm -hmm. Really, um, the layout is really good. And just the like weird quirky bits to it. It it really took something that could have been very dry and gave it a lot of personality and gave it a lot of really engaged you in it. Um, And they weren't like, while sometimes horrifying, they are not frightening illustrations mm-hmm. but no, they they're, might be like they're kind captivating of creepy. Yeah, yeah definitely captivating um and there is they have they, they have, have more books they have yeah. other books like this um let me look this up yes. real quick i have mice everywhere guys i got a regular mouse over there i got my trackpad over here i don't even know where my internet is i have so many windows her short fiction has appeared in Cemetery Dance magazine. It's a great magazine. Fantastic magazine. Uh, okay, so since we were talking great. about it, illustrations by Natalia Balnova. And it really, it is, it is fantastic. It kind of, like you said, you know, it breaks it up in a way that like kind of, you know, it, 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 it breathes some life into it, gives a little bit of level levity to it and, you know, just creates this really beautiful cadence. Levity is a great word there as well. Yeah, because it really like it's not it's not too scary, but it is engaging. And the, the dedication to it is really good to all the girls who sleep with the lights on, but read the scary stories anyway. Heck yeah. Yeah. OK, they do. Uh, Lisa Kroger has three other books and they're recognizable because I don't know if it's the exact same illustrator, but it is the same style of cover. Um, Mm. She has a book called The Dead Hours of Night, stories by Lisa Tuttle. And this is, hold on, she has, what is her? And and she has an introduction. So these are great collections Mm -hmm. of some of the stories that this book talks about. And Lisa Kroger does the introduction. Uh, And they're just, yeah, the, the, they're all real cute. The illustrations are fantastic. Yeah. And I, I like their, good looking book. their voice together is really good. Like it feels very seamless. You don't feel like, oh, here's Lisa. And then, oh, here's Melanie. Like the, the yeah. way they discuss the authors is very like seamless all the way through, which I think is good because sometimes it's confusing when you, when you have two authors, sometimes you're like, oh, we've, we've changed here. Sometimes you do get two distinct voices, mm-hmm. uh, which takes your focus away from the subject matter. Yeah. Yep. Thoroughly enjoyed. So mm-hmm. let's talk about horror books as a whole. Uh, obviously, a lot of them are mentioned here, but like what your experience with horror as a consumer of the books themselves. So what was the first horror book you ever read? I have no idea because I feel like I, I don't, I, I can't think of a time when I wasn't reading stuff like that. I, I just, all of my memories of reading somehow have uh, spooky stuff in them. Um, and I started writing when I was really you know little. So, and that was also spooky and weird. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually not sure. I do know that I think I said this before. Pet Cemetery was the first book I read that actually scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> everything else kind of just had given me the willies up until that point. 
so that was a very pivotal horror book moment for me. And that was like nine, 10. Yeah. Jen. So as I mentioned before, uh, summer of fear was the first horror book that I remember reading. And, um, but it was pretty soon after that, that I started reading other stuff that I shouldn't have been reading because I was just picking up stuff that, um, you know, so summer of fear was my brother's book. And then I just started taking stuff from my mom's library. Um, not long after I read that, I, I read The Stranger Beside Me by Ann Rule about Ted Bundy. Um, never should have read that. And then I was like, oh, this one looks cool. It's got this house on it. And it was the Amityville Horror. And we had just moved in. Mm a house that was built in 1857. So it was this big old Victorian house. And I just remember like every day I'd be like, mom, how many days have we been here? <laughs> I mean, the, the book progresses day by day. And I, my bedroom was on the third floor and had a little attic off of it. And my brother who was Joseph the third was also known as Jody. And I was like, oh my God, Jody the pig from Mammy Horror. And I was just terrified. So... Yeah, I was kind of reading a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been at that age. Um, but yeah, Summer of Fear, again. Uh, Lois Duncan did not know who she was or anything. You know, at the when I think back to that cover, which was terrifying, I think it just felt like another, you know, I mean, they weren't called young adult, but that's what it felt like at the time. So I didn't think... I had no idea who this woman was and that she had written anything else. So that was a good witch story though. I, I'm looking at a couple, like the, the ones that all feel like they're in the right time frame, And I'm trying to figure out which one of them I would have read first. And I guess it doesn't really matter because it's all like right around the same time. So the mm. face on the milk carton by Caroline, Caroline B. Cooney. Uh, which was absolutely young adult. Um, but that might have been later. Like that was it was definitely like marketed as young adult. Uh, and like kind of what what the hell age was I and who thought this was acceptable about the this that kind of trauma. Um, hand in hand with reading interview with a vampire when I was 10 because I auditioned for the movie and I was like, oh well, I should read the book thinking, you know, this is fine. It was not fine at 10. It's like way horrifying and like overt sexual, like way too much sex for a 10 year old, like really probably a problem. All Stephen King. Yeah. It's way too much. Uh, well, no, no, no. In, in, interview with the vampire. So oh, interview with the vampire. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. There's, there's Stephen King coming later. Too much. Too much. Um, yeah. Like, it came, the movie came out in 94, so I was probably auditioning in, like, 92. So I'm 10. Um, wow. Not, not appropriate. But also, uh, again, a Lois Duncan. And again, I, like, I don't know what, which one I read at what, at what time. I know what you did last summer. I did not know that he was wrote, her. Neither he did, did I. Her. I didn't he know. wrote, I know what you did last summer, which is terrifying. Which is oh, it is terrifying yeah. um yeah that that was probably the first book that I 
actually identified in my brain as this is horror. Whereas the rest of them are like, mm-hmm. well, this is like a story or, well, I'm doing this for work type things. Like, you know, okay. Like for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I didn't think of vampires as being horror. Like, I don't know why, like I didn't, I did Cause it's not a scary mm-hmm. book. There's a fantasy element to vampires, yeah. I think. Interview with a vampire is not frightening. Right. Because of the way it, the story is told. It is not a scary book. It's just like, it's horrifying, but it's not looming. Te- like, I didn't feel like the vampire was going to come and get me. Right. I know what you did last summer. They were going to come and get you. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the the, the guilt and, like, the, the whole psychological, like, messing with your head. Yeah. 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 So no those all kind of blend together. And yeah. interestingly enough, nobody has mentioned like Goosebumps or R. I was just or, like, going Fear to. Street. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Fear Street. Yeah. I mean, I read that. They almost don't seem like scary stories because I mm-hmm. read them so that was like all I was reading. Like it, yeah. it really was like. I, I mean, I, I read those Stephen King books I shouldn't have been reading. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's not true. Yeah, I, I take that back. We keep saying that if you're, if you absorb it, then you're ready for it if you aren't you're going to put it down and not step back to it so if I was reading Stephen King at 10 years old clearly I enjoyed it and I was it was okay for material for me because I didn't develop some problem um but yeah no Fear Street Christopher Pike books those were just like Christopher Pike around like that was just it um I also started reading really young because my mom used to read you know big books and I was jealous and I wanted to read big books and it really pissed me off that I couldn't. So I forced myself to like, I started absorbing them early, but her books are romance novels. Mm-hmm. She, she likes some mysteries, but, and that wasn't my vibe. So I looked for something else at a young, young age yeah. and I landed. Yeah. And like, I landed in fear street. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing though, with like Stephen King, so like, again, like there wasn't really a YA when, you know, I got a few years and you guys, so there wasn't really a YA when I was coming up into that. So like, yeah, like Stephen King, the good thing about Stephen King is he kind of has all these different, you know, if you want true horror, you have horror. If you want kind of supernatural, you get supernatural. If you want sort of a, you know, like just a, like a, a like a fantasy mystery thing, you can get that as well. So, and it's yeah. first 10 books are all like 200 pages, easily consumable. Right. Very consumable. Totally. Yes. yes. Totally. Yes. Uh, and then, and yeah. I love his and, ghost and stories. Blows up. Right. Yeah. And like, I love his, like, like, you know, like even when he did like Bag of Bones, like I love his, mm-hmm. his ghost stories. See, and I like his weird stuff. I love from a Buick 8. Mm. Which you are the only person in the world who enjoys the whole I like yeah. Lizzie's story. I really yeah. like Lizzie's story. Same thing. Just yeah. it's just you. It's just, it's just you me. But you know what? It's somebody's got it, right? Yeah. Um, I have one more that I want to call out as like an early, early one that it's funny because you said like if you can absorb it, like you're clearly ready for it. This was one that I actually was not ready for and did have lasting effects from. Uh, and it's the lottery by Shirley Jackson. <gasps> the lottery by Shirley Jackson haunted me for years like Mm. active nightmares because I was very young and did not see the twist coming. And uh, that I think is the reason I ever had stranger danger. Like that's it. I, you know, I never occurred to me to be afraid of my neighbors, but after that, don't fucking come near me guy. Uh, Yeah. That one really, that one fucked me up. 
Oh, wow. And yeah. I read it, I know it, and I feel like I've seen like, you know, like, like short film adaptations, mm. of it, but I've, I've never read it. Hmm. You don't see it but coming. It is, <laughs> it is, it is upsetting. And the final sentence of it is, well, I'm not going to say it because you haven't read it, so you should read it. Right. But the final sentence of it, I will never forget the final sentence of it. And it's very, very upsetting. We have had this conversation before because sometimes in my head, I confuse the lottery and the long walk. And that's because I had a reaction to the long walk, the short Richard Bachman story. Mm -hmm. Um, Very similar, I think. Not as terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not as... Well, it can be. It's it's weird. It sticks with you. It's like in your chest and it's uncomfortable the whole time. And the last line of that did the same. I will never forget yeah. the last line of that either. Yep. It's Can't fun. shake it. Can't mm-hmm. shake it. Files you around. Files um, around. <laughs> so this is going to be really heavier in your guys' sweet spot around movies. Books that were made into movies that are horror movies that you didn't know were written by women. That's it for me is, is so I uh, uh, Last summer, last summer. I know what you yes. did last summer. I know what yes. you did. Thank you. We just mm-hmm. said it. And my brain yes. was like, yes. done with I think that's Moving everybody's answer there. there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Lois Duncan. Um, and for me, and that's definitely, yeah, I have that there. Cause I was like, what? She did something more. She didn't just do that book. Um, and they, they do have a, a section on this, this author, uh, Daphne Dumare. Mm-hmm. Um, who wrote the the short story that was turned into Rebecca, the Alfred Hitchcock film? One of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock films. That's what that is. Love, love, love it. So good. It's so good. Um, had no idea. Also, a story that was turned into the movie Don't Look Now, which I saw at a very young age, never should have seen. It has Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie in it. And it's a it's very graphic sex scenes in the, it's from the seventies, um, like kind of like amateur porn graphic <laughs> sex scene. Oh and, my! Um, I love that seventies camera work. Yeah, yeah. Oh. tastefully and blurry. No filter. Well, I was going to say no filter, um, but it was it, you know it's a story about a couple who lose a young child, and you know. The, the the grief, the trauma, um, being haunted, are they really being haunted? You know, all this stuff. It's terrifying. It's just, it's one of those films that is visually terrifying. So that was also Daphne Dumare. Um, and then another woman that they, another author, they have a, a segment on, Joanne Fishman. Um, she wrote My Bloody Valentine. So and that's that, right? That's that you movie. Know, you know, that, David Boreanaz. We all know what right? that is. No, not not David Boreanaz. That's Valentine's. <laughs> that is a different movie. No, no, my bloody Valentine. My bloody Valentine. That's what the yes, which I referenced case, last the February. Minors. And yeah, when yeah. Josh was dressed up in his um, his workman's outfit with the, the headlamp and the mask, and I was like, oh, my bloody Valentine. Oh, this is so yeah. sweet and murdery. Exactly. This is beautifully got your pickaxe. Yay. It's party. <laughs> so yeah. noodle, any for you? I'm gonna go ahead and say I don't I don't watch horror movies. So oh I, that's true. Yeah, like you know what? I feel real good about it. Oh, that's, that's okay. Absolutely. 
Um, so again, as as horror aficionados for both of you guys, what what genre what genre do you identify with the most of these speculative horror? You know, of these different sections of horror, like where do you see your art? Various arts, you know, be it writing, be it painting, be it, you know, as you're both very much creatives, like if you had to look at these genres, like where would you put yourself? I want Jen to go first. Again, I love a good ghost story. I love... Uh, I, I love the romanticism of a ghost story. Um, I love that sometimes the ghosts are there to help you and sometimes you're there to help the ghosts. Um, admittedly, I like when you're there to help the ghost more because the ghost is like, hey, somebody did me wrong. You got to help me here or, you know, uh, you know, solve my murder type of thing. Um, solve my murder. Solve my murder. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I mean, I've got notes on every section and when, you know, and that the final part when they're going through like, you know, the, you know, the new, the new weird, the new vampires, the new, you know, the, my God, the, the, the stuff about, you know, plagues and pandemics. Um, and then the, the, the serial killers. I mean, ugh, I, I would say you know, serial killer slashers and then ghosts kind of squarely in the monster category, but, you know, one from, the, you know, days of yore and one of like the new incarnation of monsters. Days of yore, you know, there's yore, yeah. <laughs> you know, old timey ghosts and they're, they're proper, you know, Full corsets, guys. I want to see oh. my ghosts in full corsets. Yes, oh, if yes. you're not wearing a bustle, I want nothing to yeah. do. How exactly. rude. Mm-hmm. How dare you haunt me in exactly. anything less than a bustle and a corset? Right? Sluts. Um, but all they're saying is, this is really uncomfortable. I just need to take my clothes off. Can you please just, <laughs> I need five minutes. It's the most whiny ghost ever. I've been trying to take this corset off for hundreds of years. Can you, you just, just reach behind me? me? Can you just unhook? Yeah. Oh, One loop left. Dress me in this when they buried me. Finally, you see in movies. When somebody dies, whatever they're wearing when they die, that's what they're wearing for like the rest of their. Yeah, oh that's your God. ghost outfit forever. <laughs> that's like, oh, choose my Like right now, I have on sweatpants and I have on my crop top hoodie and I'm so comfy. Oh, great. Well, now all the ghosts in the internet are going to get you. Good job. Yeah. We're five seconds away from a movie on Netflix. Good job, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch it. Terror. Um, I think. I think it's fair to say that I write things that fall under the category of weird. Um, that seems good. Yeah. No, that's strange, unusual. Yeah, that is accurate. Um, but the, I would say speculative fiction as well. You know, like the whole sci-fi. You know, uh, or otherworldly. You know, I, I I've read. You know, all the works that you've put out there. Thank you for me to read. And yeah, I mean, you're you're squarely in the, you know, paranormal. What's super... the other one look like? Yeah, 
<laughs> that bitch is weird. Um, I, I used to write more horror. And I, as a young person, I thought that's what I would do. Um, as most young people do. Totally. Like, what are you going to do? Write scary shit. That's it. Just scare the pants off people. Um, and that didn't, uh, not that I don't anymore, but it's rare. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if just as a, as a grown up, I'm drawn more to the science fiction, future of humanity, interesting things that we can do and questioning all of those things outside and inside the earth. Um, and it could, maybe it's just because like, I got my fill, man. I mean, I horrored, horrored out as a young person. Um, I really, I really, really did. I mean, I, I absorbed quite a bit. Um, and I think that's all it is. I'm sure I will again at some point. My arts is, is kind of cute. You know, like I got a jar over there that's got some cute pickles painted on it. <laughs> so I wouldn't put that into any of these categories. It, it, that's interesting because I would have said, Jen, that your art for, falls more heavily on the gore. I think about the things that you create for Halloween and right, I've always right. got tasteful blood everywhere, like in, <laughs> and your ability to create those sort of things. I definitely I would yeah. I would have put you squarely in the gore for for art. Interesting. Abs. I mean, yes, it was funny, like, you know, listening to Candy talk about her writing. So I don't, I don't write, but I do, I sculpt and make wedding cake toppers. And, you know, the, the most popular ones are like sci-fi, like the robots, but also um, Dia de los Muertos and then my zombies, like people like the zombies, but I make it look pretty and tasteful zombies. It's accessible gore. Yeah. Oh, that, yes. Yeah. Somebody write down that phrase. Right. I'm going to write it down right now. Dude, I'm going to write is, it down when I listen to this again. That is a great phrase. Hashtag mm-hmm. accessible gore. Well written. Mm. Somebody is a marketing professional. <laughs> yeah. Halloween, spooky season. Accessible yeah. gore. I, I will say that I have found myself uh, watching much less things that are violent, excessively violent. And you know, chalk that up to the last freaking six years of nonsense, right? Like just I, my brain is on violence overload. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not gravitating toward that kind of stuff lately. Um, unless it's campy because I am a fan of slasher films. I'm a fan of, we, the other night we watched uh, Elvira mistress of the dark and it was fucking great. Um, you know, weird, gross, funny, um overly bloody to the point of it being absurd like that's not how that happens you know um that's stuff i can still watch and enjoy but uh, like things creep like show. yeah totally like creep show and you know great special effects um that hasn't upset me i, I don't think at any time soon i'll be watching like oh god what the hell's the name of that movie the last house on the left Oof. i'm not watching anything like that anytime soon like it's just not in my lately <laughs> yeah but and it's funny that you mentioned that it's just it's too too much to take right now considering you know world events and everything I remember uh met up with some friends and they're like and this was in 2017 and they're like oh you're still watching The Walking Dead I was like no I'm like no you don't you don't like Negan blah, blah, blah. I'm like in 2017 I was like 
no, I'm just tired of the bad guy winning. Like I can't. And I haven't gone back. Mm-hmm. It's just like, nope. Yeah. Current events had just like dunded me in and I was over yeah. it. I, I feel that way about Squid Game, but I am actively not watching it because I am not in a brain space of people hacking each other to, yeah. to bits, to whatever, whatever it is, whatever that looks like. I am not prepared emotionally right. to deal with that level of violence right now. And I don't even know if it is, if they show any violence. I have no idea. Just, Just the anxiety the around it. Yeah. yeah. Like, emotional. Nope. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like that, that is absolutely horror. That is very solidly horror. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. and I still have that. I, I am actively having squid game nightmares not watching it, not knowing anything about it. Just the fact that it exists has seeped into my subconscious enough that it is, it, it's actively upsetting my day to day. Damn. It's weird. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm only, I've only seen like the, the cookie clips on Instagram because of mm-hmm. that cookie thing. And yeah, the, the emotional torture that yeah. characters look like they're going through. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little more than I can, you know, absorb right now. The yeah. hardest of passes. Well, you know, it's interesting that we all we all have this vibe because I, uh, you know what? I'll, maybe it's not just me. It's not just me. I've practiced like all kinds of acceptance speeches, right? And one thing that I always <laughs> think uh, that I have always thought since I was a really young person, because I don't. I mean, it's been a long time. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I. Liking being such a horror fan, a science fiction fan as a young person, I was also super into award shows and and movies and the the big screen and and all of that. So it was very um, irritating that there weren't categories for what I consider to be extremely important, completely parallel genres to other things. Uh, and it just pissed me off. And there is, you know, horror directors and writers, and you're, they're kind of like the redheaded stepchildren, like of what various industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've always felt the reason that's such bullshit is because horror and science fiction to me are both like, it, they deal with humanity so closely both both categories the things that we fear the stuff that goes bump in the night is really the stuff that's inside of us um the things we can do questions of humanity being so incredibly uh, technologically advanced and being able to do things should we do them all of these things um so it's really not surprising that your your interest in it kind of flows and gets disappears and comes back because it is uh, horror and science fiction really make you look at yourself and look at the people around you. And it's not nearly as fantastic um, as it is on the surface. So I find that very interesting. That is very interesting. No, that's a good Thank you for this honor. (laughs) I thought that was a great acceptance Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I'm going to ask one last horror related question. And this is where we're going to, we're going to wrap the horror section of our evening. Yeah. What scary story do you read over and over again? Jennifer. Wait, what's great? What's scary? What, what scary story mm-hmm. have you read over and over again? Oh, 
I have to edit this pause. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Candy, do you want to go in, in the meantime? Yeah, Candy, go. Um, the only, the only book, no, the only novel I've ever read over and over again is Pet Cemetery, And I haven't read it in a very long time. I never mm. made it through it when we were reading it. Um, it's interesting that I've read it so many times because it's the only book I've ever had to read and like turn the lights on. I think the last time I actually read it all the way through, I was like in my early twenties and I did, I was on vacation. I was like, I'm leaving this on. <laughs> Carry everything's reading my book by myself in the dark and leaving the lights on and suck it. Um, but I don't, I don't really think that I have, I'm an avid TV watcher. So in that I've watched certain scary things over and over and over again, but I haven't read so many over and over. What's the scary mm-hmm. movie that you watch over and over and over? Like um, actually frightening, not campy. Well, actually frightening is hard to say, mostly because I, I don't get super scared from them, which is one of the reasons I'm able to absorb so many of them. Um, my goodness. I did jump when we watched Elvira. Something did make me jump right out of my skin. There was a good startle. Um, I would say probably the scariest thing to other people that I've seen a gajillion times would be season four uh, of Buffy Hush with the, the gentleman. I've, I've seen that many times and I, I know people who cannot watch it because it's just too fucking creepy. It's a silent episode and there's these creepy guys floating around and they're stealing people's hearts and no one can scream. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a great, great spooky thing that is like 42 minutes. So you can watch it one bajillion times. And it's terrifying because the, the worst thing is to be attacked and have no voice. And that is absolutely terrifying. I I agree with that one. Well, I just buttoned up my shirt. You did. You're like, you closed your shit up. My entire body went, nope. This sounds ridiculous. Can't get my heart. Uh-huh. Okay. So similarly, I have not reread a scary story over and over. However, a story that I heard many times as a kid, you know, campfires, different, different, um, scenarios where like my, my brother and some of the older kids were telling stories. One of them is about the Zuni doll. And I've heard this story. I heard the story so many times. And then years later, when I was in college, I finally watched the trilogy of terror with Karen Black and the Zuni doll is one of the segments and a story about this woman who is in this relationship with this guy and it's probably not going great, but she brings, she, you know, she wants to butter him up. She gets this ancient artifact from another country and it's this little Zuni doll. And the one warning is like, don't remove the belt. Well, the belt comes off and it terrorizes her around her apartment and then basically consumes her physically and spiritually terrifying. So I'd heard the story many, many times, watched it many, many times and, um, but I haven't read it. So but still, that's the closest I have. Oh, that's good though. I, I didn't even think about like short stories like that. I guess I, I had read the scary stories books multiple times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't, I have them, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess I, I really wasn't thinking of like snippets like that. 
That's yeah. a good answer. That's a really good answer. It's a, it's a good scare. It's a good story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noodle, Noodle. any? Noodle. Um, so interestingly, I'm going to say one that I would read over and over again, even though I haven't read it over and over again, mostly just because of the nature of where my life is currently. But it, mm-hmm. um, I love it. It is potentially one of my favorite books I've ever read ever. Like all time favorite books. It is always going to make my top five list. It is a book that I, when the world opens up again, will tattoo part of it on my body. Um, the line about the friends that you're friends with people who make their home in your heart, um, which I feel very strongly about it. And it's funny because it does not frighten me. It is like Pennywise and the movie are these are these most terrifying blah, blah, blah. And yet the world building and the relationships within it speak so much louder than the fear parts um, that it did not scare me. It engaged me, but I wasn't frightened of it. I was just too like invested in the people. Um, So I'm going to call that the spooky story that I would read over and over again. Mm -hmm. The scary movie that I watch over and over again is Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park scares the shit out of me every single time. But I will watch Jurassic Park anytime it's on television. And I have read Jurassic Park a number of times. I've um, never read Though I also, it, it holds up. It really does. Uh, I would recommend. The science is still good. Like, it's a different experience in the movie, but it holds up really, really well. Hmm. Strong I've yet. never read it, but I've seen it over. Sure. Oh, yeah. I've seen it over 50 times in the theater. So. That's a lot. Well, that's that's a lot. Yes, you're so cool. (laughs) 1993 was a weird year for me. (laughs) The local theater was showing it for 52 weeks straight, (laughs) and and I went. I went by myself, sat where I wanted, ate my own popcorn. Yeah, it's amazing. Great movie. Great movie. Does not does not like expire. Like it continues to be. It continues. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Every single view. Excellent film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. thumbs up scary scary shit terrifying terrifying mm-hmm. i mean that that t-rex is is pretty Excellent. cool and I, I will say the movie doesn't scare me but the water ride which is gone the original jurassic park ride isn't that gone now didn't they replace that with like jurassic world and it's not yeah. the same ride they, enhanced, yeah. they just enhanced they use the, the same shit part, some yeah. of the dinosaurs um it's the same ride. Is it the same ride? I haven't been there since that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that dinosaur at the end, that the T-Rex that comes down oh at you. God. I just, yeah. have you ever, you've stood by them, right? Yeah. And so in Florida, they've got some of them that you can just mm-hmm. stand next to outside and take pictures. Yeah. That is scary because it's so big. Mm-hmm. It's that gives me a little bit of a chest flutter. Yeah. Real I'm life dinosaurs sure. scare the shit out of me. <laughs> That the ride is broken and it's going to break on my head. <laughs> He's like, just there's no way it you. should come down that close. Like obviously yeah. this it is, is it is malfunctioned and they haven't noticed it yet. And now mm-hmm. here it is going to eat me. Yeah, that's going to be a yeah. scary or, or sad rather photo going down. Yeah, one way. It's just yeah, him one in the ride. Noodles arms. <laughs> uh, nobody takes that one as a souvenir. Oh, I'm going to buy that one. <laughs> That's it. This is the one I spend the fifty dollars on. This is a great angle, guys. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, excellent. Ooh, yeah, I like it. Good spooky talks. Yeah. Good spooky talks, and continuing uh, spookiness. Uh, Noodle, let's get our political minute. 
So I was a lot more worked up about the political minute before we got like oh, and half ago. into horror and like other things being scary. So it's going to be like a shorter version of it. I had a much longer version planned, but I'm just, you know, that's okay. So Colin Powell is my political minute. Um, hero or not is the question here. Uh, Colin Powell very recently died of compilations from COVID-19, which he was vaccinated for. And the way the story is being told, the story ends there, compilations from COVID-19 that he was vaccinated for, which is a much more horrifying, upsetting, big story than because he had a blood cancer that made him terribly immunosuppressed. And could you all please get vaccinated to continue to protect the people like Colin Powell who were actively suffering from uh, immunosuppressant diseases? So um, that by itself, it seems like a really big problem in the media right now, like the way that story is being told. And that's a component of what I want to talk about here. Like, hey, fuckers, can we not tell stories that are about like dog whistling as to whether or not the vaccine is actually the level of efficacy that we think it is? Because, hey, it is. It is. Um, That it feels like a crucial component that they're not leading with in this story because they could just say colin powell has died and then we could talk about his death but don't give me a headline of colin powell died of vex died of covid even with vaccine like fuck all of you and the way that you're like feeding into that story so that's one piece of the political minute the other side of it by itself is just like colin powell the person and his very complicated legacy that he leaves behind was Colin Powell an American hero or not? Was he, was he a good guy or was he a villain? Um, and the answer is yes. In, in, you know, essentially he became the face of the decision to lead us into the war with Iraq by standing behind Bush and saying, yeah, I agree with this. So, you know, he'd spent his entire career building up the brand of being able to say yes or no on things. And they essentially like America made him our fall guy when they like, when it turned out, no, Iraq did not have weapons of mass destruction. And they're like, well, Colin said they did. So that's like kind of bullshit. Right. Um, And it is something that continued to pursue him throughout the rest of his career as a diplomat, as a soldier and so on and so forth that they were like, well, he made this one bad call and like, this is his fault. That being said, he was also the face of the Republican party for a long time. And as a black man standing within the Republican party as the uh, son of immigrants, as somebody who is uh, married to an immigrant, like all of those pieces, he legitimized a white shitty party by saying hey look we could also have a black man like hey look at our black friend and that's a problem also and he allowed that or at least participated in that um up to a point until he did finally step away and this is where his again his legacy is very complex because he endorsed obama against john mccain who was also a military hero and so on and so forth for him to stand against his party and say, nah, I think we got to, we, it's, it's time for change. It is a shift here. So he was then vilified again by the Republican party 
who he had essentially like turned against at this point. So he's, he's a very complex man. He was a very complex man. And the interviews with him, he talks about himself as before anything else, before he's a soldier, before he's a diplomat, he thinks of himself as a problem solver. You know, that's how he, that's how he envisions himself, how he envisioned his, his positioning within the world of, of somebody who is there to make things better. But the question of like, who is, who are you making it better for? And who are you like legitimizing? Um, he did eventually like denounce the Republican party and walk away from them. He like formally declared, I am no longer Republican. Uh, but it did not change the fact that in his death, he is still pinned on both sides as a fall guy. So it's, it's a complicated situation. And Trump, of course, like being Trump, like very famously, well, not very famously, like very unpredictably, very predictably was like, Colin Powell, his fault went to Iraq, I guess, rest in peace now, douchebag. Like, what a dick. Just what a dick. What an unmitigated <laughs> asshole. Like, and that kind of makes me feel much more uh, empathy for Colin Powell and what he represented. Though I would not necessarily think of him as a hero um, in a lot of positions because he did help support Bush bushing around. So, you know, I think we we tend to we being humans um, conflate heroes in war. I, I don't want to say in war. I want to, but th- that's what I mean, I guess. Um, and then they, then their, their continued political careers, which happens often um, as if their political things are kind of fall into the same category. And like, you can use that title. I, I start to question, what does that even mean? Like, what is, what does hero mean? I think he can be both. I think he can be a, a hero as a soldier and, and his, um, character and how he's acted in those situations can be totally true. And he can also politically um, be like every other fucking politician. And I don't think there's anything heroic about politics. And I think there's, there's heroism in speaking up um, about things and fighting for things. But I I think we're, I think we're starting to use the term hero a, a little too broadly um, because your politicians are people, they're citizens, <laughs> typically, and they're talking and reading a lot. Okay. I mean, they are, though. I mean, that's what our, our, our system has become. It's become mm-hmm. a lot of just fucking talking at each other and not doing anything. So I think we're, um, I think what we're learning in general right now and this what i said last last episode this data dump of time whatever this period of time is going to be called in the future when they look back on it i think we're learning that people can be a lot of things all at once the shittiest thing is looking someone up and seeing exactly what you just said you know this person died three days ago and these articles are sensationalism they're not even they're not obituaries they're not biographies they're not um they're they're for ratings and clicks and it's makes it hard to to it certainly makes it hard to mourn right 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's all I have to say. No, it's, I mean, you were not incorrect. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange now that we're in. That's a really good way to put that. Yeah, it is a strange now. We are on the cusp of losing a lot of greats. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a list of the big greats and it's getting shorter for who is still alive. Yeah. And, and those legacies are going to be reflected and eyed differently today than they would have been 20 years ago if they had died 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, like Clinton was just in the hospital and the queen is in the hospital. Like those are all things that you're like, hmm? Hmm? What, what are we saying about that? So yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting time. An interesting time. I, so I could go back to boring for a little while. Things have gotten a little too exciting. (laughs) If the universe could just turn down, percolate, percolate, and just let's simmer for a bit. Too much bubbling going on. Um, uh, Does anyone who has plugs, who has closing plugs? Anyone want to see what's going on where we can find them? Can we plug you? We can plug me. That was Dirty and the name of a short story I should submit to a dirty magazine. You should. You can plug me. <laughs> follow that with like a like old school internet noises and nice. you know you're reading that um the rad mag issue three is out she is available for purchase uh the title is incognito and i am super excited noodle is a contributor this issue i know it's the first it's thing i have written that has been published in like 15 years so i'm really excited about adding that to my resume immediately hey i'm so yeah. excited yeah that's awesome it's fun it's super fun it is i think i was talking about this last month it's on this great orange paper and i just love it it's just mm. pretty, it's pretty very cute it's i love the pictures that you posted of it thank you uh and a shout out to my friend natalie natalie de casola of evil temptress designs uh there's some art in this issue as well and i am stoked stoked to share I just want to share like my friend stuff and be like I love you guys let's do cool things together so that's what's happening so I'm pretty happy check it out candypresents.com Woot. yeah yeah guys. I got nothing going on I got nothing going got on nothing. Did, did I mention it was the last week of the quarter because that's that's all I got going on last week of the quarter really set my sights on not dropping the ball for the holidays oh my god it's almost the holidays guys Jen what do you got Jen give it up where can oh we find gosh. you on the internet. Um, well, I, st- I still have my, my website, jennybcreative.com. Right now it's going to my Etsy shop, but I am in the process of building my own website that will showcase the, the myriad of art that I'm creating right now. Um, most excited I'm, um, about getting out there is my, um, my contribution to the um, the uh, sketchbook project at the uh, Brooklyn Library. So fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. It's a series of life drawings, um, some which I had to do virtually, I guess, because of COVID. Um, I completed it in September of 2020, Um, but I digitized it. And so my goal is to get that up by the end of the year. So get that in front of all the faces. 
Just so you know, I will happily pose nude for you in person or over Zoom. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Love it. Like standing on, well, not standing on my head because I'm not that, I'll fall down, but like, <laughs> and I'm not just that holding fast, I don't want you to get like a head brush. Yeah, thank Sorry. you. Um, <laughs> no, just like holding a piece of fruit or, you know, whatever, whatever you want. Two pieces of fruits to cheer for you. Like melons. I could do that. Like melons. <laughs> or I could hold big fruit, but that like covers my boobies, but you could make it like, instead of it being melons, you could draw like giant strawberries. That would be weird. Right. I love it. A little surreal. Love, like, real. Little strawberry pasties. Oh my God. Jen, just make me strawberry pasties. Okay. And on that note, uh, taking a turn, folks. That was a fun episode. Thank you guys. Thank you, Jen, Yay. for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I love spooky season. I love talking to you ladies. I am like completely in my element tonight and forgotten everything about everything else. So Yay. wait, can I ask one more else? question? Can I ask one more important question? Yes. What is everyone being for Halloween? I don't know know if we can tell you. I know. I mean, I do have a whole witch hat situation. I did feel Mm -hmm. like incorporating um, just like whatever old costume pieces I had at home and throwing something fun together, which would have just been, which would be a witch. I mean, that's, that's going to be a witch, not just, I'm excited. I'm excited. Noodle, what are you being for Halloween? We are going to be a family of astronauts and I built a fucking rocket ship yeah you did yes you did travel in his little cart and i'm so pleased and it's cardboard and spray paint and duct tape and it looks awesome it's not done yet i'm gonna finish it this weekend but i, I love it um, it uh, looks amazing i haven't seen the final painting nobody has it's not oh, yet okay but I, I i'm gonna finish it i'm gonna finish it this weekend can we affix that to like a wagon or something that's big enough for grown-ups to be pulled around the neighborhood in <laughs> let's just work on that think yeah, about it you when know you're what? painting you can do whatever, this weekend you can do whatever do like, a, like a tandem situation like the you'll be the you know trailing behind the rocket mm, like the big one and the little the, one the, the blazing mm-hmm. yeah i'm dressing out of my closet dressing out of my closet still leaves a broad range of stuff right yeah i was like i could think of like 17 costumes based (laughs) on what i know is in your closet oh i didn't even really step into my like weird Mm. closet like the closet that has the sequin dress from your party oh you're designing Uh, women dress oh my designing women dress we're fun happy halloween everybody happy Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We wish you sticky candy and scary stories and super fun costume times. We will hang out with you guys soon. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye,